Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how God met and welcomed Abraham as he entered into Canaan, and he reiterates his covenant promise to Abraham. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. Many people are like Abraham with a good start in the Christian life. They really want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They start out well. It looks like they're going to go on, but they don't. Because wherever Abraham went, he influenced people toward God. He influenced people. And and as he would teach him, he would beg him, like he did Eliezer, be reconciled to God. The door's open for you. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in the book of Genesis. Now turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 2.14, because this is a description of what Abraham was doing as he was doing all this. It's a description of Abraham, it's a description of us also. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.14-16, through 16, where it says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, I won't tell you, when I finish reading this, I'm going to ask you a question. So, if you weren't paying attention before, maybe now you could, but anyway. All right, and manifest, makes manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, to the other we are savor of life unto life, who is sufficient for these things. So, where it says there that God makes, uh, causes us to make manifest the savor of his knowledge, where are we making manifest the savor of his knowledge? First question. Not a trick question. Where we are. Yeah, where we are. <laughs> the verse would be nice. <laughs> There's some words. Every place. every place. He says every place. Okay. Now, second question. How many parties are we a saver to? How many parties? To the saved and Okay, two or one, two, three, how many? So we look at this verse, look at the verse, okay, and then we'll see it here in verse 15. For we are who? We are unto who? We are unto God, a sweet saver. Okay, and then it says, then it speaks of the other two, which are the saved and the lost. So, We are a saver to God, to the saved, and to those who perish. Now, to the first, we are a sweet saver to God and to them that that, uh, are saved. To the first two, we are the sweet saver, the sweet saver. To the last one, we're not such a sweet saver. (laughs) When Paul wrote this, he had in his mind this practice of the Romans. The Romans had lots of practices. Not just the crucifixion, many, many cruel things they came up with. They were the masters of cruelty. But anyway, whatever the Romans would conquer a land, they would divide their captives, you know, the ones who survived, they would divide their captives into two groups. And one group was a group that devoted themselves to absolute loyalty to the Romans. And they would become the servants of Rome. And the other group didn't, or whatever reason there was, they were the other group, and when they got back to Rome, they would be fed to the wild animals or the games in the Colosseum. They would die. 
So both groups would be marched along in the triumphant procession as they came back into Rome. And both groups would be in chains as they came back into Rome. So when they came to Rome, the citizens of the city there in Rome would line the streets and throw flowers and cheer the great procession, but they also had the practice of burning an incense. And so now Paul is focused down and zeroed down on this issue of the incense that's being burned when the procession comes back in. And when the one group of captives there, who were going to be the servants, when they smelled the incense, they knew that soon their chains would be taken off and they would be servants, they would live. So that incense was a savor of life unto life. They were going to live. Now, when the other group would uh, smell the incense, they knew that their chains would not be taken off and that they would be killed in the Colosseum, the games. And so when they smelled the same incense, they knew they'd be killed. So for them, that incense meant that they would die. So that incense was for them a savor of death unto death. Now, when Abraham built his altars there in Canaan, and the Canaanites who had responded to Abraham and were reconciled to God, when they saw those altars, Abraham and those altars were a savor of life unto life for them. But when those other Canaanites who rejected Abraham's message of reconciliation to God, when they saw those altars, that reminded them, especially as they saw the dead animals being sacrificed, of the judgment of God, and that his altars and Abraham were for them a savor or a reminder or an indication of death unto death. See, now, we don't build altars. Well, some of us, but anyway, we don't build altars, but we pray at restaurants before we eat. And when the saved in a restaurant see us pray before we eat, then we're a savor of life unto life. And have you ever had that? Yeah, some people, Christian will come up to you and say, oh, I saw you pray, and, and uh, they're, they're happy, you know, because we're a savor of life unto life. But when the lost see us pray at restaurants, that upsets their meal <laughs> because we are a saver or a reminder or an indication of death unto death. So we don't literally build altars as Abraham did, but we do speak openly about the Lord Jesus Christ. And at any time and in any place without regard for what anybody thinks, when we do that, then we are, as it says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, making manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place, in every place. And God smells it, and the saved smell it, and the lost, the perishing, smell it. Now, when the Canaanites saw Abraham's altars and the evidence of the animal sacrifices that Abraham had made, they were looking at Abraham's acts of devotion and worship to God. That's what they were seeing. And that was, as we mentioned for the lost, a constant warning to them. It was a constant warning. Why? Because when they come up to this altar and they saw these dead, the evidence of the dead animals, that was a reminder to them of Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But when they also saw these altars and they realized Abraham was making all these sacrifices to God, that was in addition a reminder of the second part of Romans 6.23, that the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So they saw these evidences of Abraham and his devotion, and they were warned that the wages of sin is death, and they were also encouraged to follow Abraham and to receive the gift of eternal life through the substitutionary death. That was a message that came across from Abraham's uh, sacrifices there, that eternal life is all about a substitutionary death. And, of course, the great final substitution came in the Lord Jesus Christ when he died for our sins. So when Abraham came into Canaan, God used Abraham to warn the people. And God never leaves anybody to perish without warning him or her in some way. And when Lot went into the city of Sodom, God used him to warn the people of Sodom. And when our lost neighbors see us going off to church, that's a warning to them as well, just like with Abraham. Now, so we come to verse 7. And in verse 7, we're now at a place where Abraham has left Haran and he's come into the land of Canaan. And the first thing we read about when Abraham has come into the land of Canaan is verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. This was the first thing that happened to Abraham when he came into Canaan. Jehovah Jesus appears to Abraham. God appears to Abraham. That's like a welcome gift. <laughs> you know, you're coming into the land of Canaan, Abraham. Welcome. I appear to you. God did that. He appeared to Abraham. And Abraham, he'd never been to Canaan. For Abraham, Canaan might as well be the end of the world for him. He'd never been there. But when he arrived, was this tremendous encouragement for Abraham, as the Lord Jesus Christ said. He says in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go ye therefore into all the world, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, when God appeared to Abraham, he said, unto thy seed will I give this land. So God tells Abraham, this is the land that I promised. I'm going to give this land to your seed. Here it is. And Abraham might have looked around, and he, said, he might have said to himself, nobody knows me. I'm a stranger here, and this is not a barren land. See, that's also another reason why it's pointed out for us here from verse 6. It says he came into the land of Canaan. There was just one problem with Abraham receiving the land of Canaan. The Canaanite was in the land. <laughs> and so Abraham might have said, you know, there's inhabitants in this land. And no one has come up to me and said, you want to buy my land? <laughs> you know, I want to sell you my land. Or, and they just don't look like they're really preparing to move on to some other land. You know, like today, the Palestinians don't look like they're ready to move. And so he might have said, I have no idea how my seed is going to receive this land. No idea. But for Abraham, this is the thing about Abraham, where it speaks about Abraham not staggering at the promise of God through unbelief. Abraham did not bother himself with the how God was going to make this land be possessed by his seed. Abraham saw he saw only that God promised that the land would be his, and God chose not to fill Abraham in on how he was going to do it. He just, told, he just chose. That's a choice of God. God doesn't want to tell me how he's going to do it. That's fine. Because for Abraham, 
that was enough. Abraham could live with letting God be God. Abraham says, I got a great idea. Let's let God be God. And so in that, he's a good example for us. Abraham's a good example for us to trust and let God be God. And let God take care of the how he's going to fulfill his promises. Like Abraham, we just concern ourselves with the what of his promises and let God take care of the how of his promises. And then Abraham responds to God and he appears to him who made him the promise and in the land there. And what does he do? He builds an altar. Verse 7 is very important in the life of Abraham because it says, and the Lord appeared unto Abraham, and then it says, and there builded he an altar. That's a very important word. There builded he an altar. Right in the place where God appeared to Abraham, right after God had renewed the promise to Abraham, there, that's why that word's important, there builded he an altar. He didn't leave that place and then say, you know, I really should have built an altar there. I think I'll go back and build it. No, no. He said right then and there, he built an altar to God. And that shows something in Abraham of his immediate response to God, a response of worship and a response of appreciation to God. Abraham was not a man of delayed worship. He was not a man of delayed appreciation to God. Abraham was a man of immediate worship, immediate appreciation to God. As a matter of fact, this is the first act that Abraham did when he came into Canaan. There builded he an altar. Does that remind you of someone who we've already studied? Who? Yeah, that's it. Noah. In Genesis 8.20, where it says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Noah has just emerged from the ark. Noah has just set his foot on this new land. The first thing he does, builds an altar to the Lord. Abraham has just arrived in Canaan. The first thing he does, builds an altar unto the Lord. Whenever I travel and I, and I open the door of my hotel room, first thing I ask, I just unconsciously, I ask myself, let's see now, where will I have my devotions tomorrow? In what part of this room am I going to sit or whatever? There was something special about this altar for Abraham. And notice the last part of verse 7. There builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. Now, and it doesn't say that about the next altar that he built. So this altar was a memorial for Abraham. What was the memorial for? This altar was a memorial for the fact that at this place, at this time, the Lord appeared unto me, I will build an altar. And so at that place where Abraham saw Jehovah Jesus, he said, I'm not leaving this place till I build an altar to memorialize the fact that there I saw Jehovah Jesus. And then after Abraham left that place, that altar helped Abraham. He remembered in his mind, I remember the altar I built there. And whenever Abraham would maybe be in the area, that altar was kind of like a magnet for Abraham. Oh, I'm not so far off from that altar. I think we can take a little time. I can take a little time now and just go to that altar. I'd like to go to that altar. I want to sit there and look at that altar and remember the time when God appeared to me. And remember when he promised me. And I got that altar there. And I want to go there and just sit a while and just let it all come back again to me. Does that sound familiar? That's what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is the returning to the altar. Let it all come back again, like a magnet in the week of our journeying through the week. Let it all come back to me again. Let me remember again. This do in remembrance of me. That was 
one of Abraham's altar reminders. Altar reminders. And when we read our Bibles, or we're in church, or a Bible study, or whatever, and a certain verse just seems to come alive, and we see it in an application to us that we've never seen before, if you're into making notes in your Bible, it's a good thing to put a date by that verse. Maybe a little note, a reminder. That's an altar reminder. Just an altar reminder, like for Abraham. Just like Abraham, he's in the area, he could stop for that altar reminder, remember the day when God appeared to him. We come across that verse in our Bible, see the date, the altar reminder, and just once again remember the time when God spoke to us, like he did to Abraham. So what we see in verse 7 is a pattern that characterizes the relationship between God and Abraham. God makes promises to Abraham. They depend on Abraham's obedience to God. Abraham follows through. He makes God his first priority in life, in trusting obedience to the command. He leaves his roots. He leaves his friends. He leaves his family. And God speaks. God appears. And then he speaks to Abraham. And he guides and he helps Abraham in his life. That's the pattern we see. God becomes for Abraham the first priority. He becomes for Abraham his desire. He becomes for Abraham his delight in his life. And God takes time, takes time out of, <laughs> takes time out of God's busy schedule. You know? He takes time to fulfill Abraham's desire in his life. And we see God and Abraham just growing closer and closer to each other. That's the message when we look at the life of Abraham, of how he's an example for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the God of Abraham. And we pray, dear Lord, that like you were to Abraham, you would be to us. And help us, Lord, to learn as we see Abraham on the way to get closer and closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dad, Today you talked about how Abraham built an altar after God appeared to him. Now, we don't build altars and sacrifice animals today like Abraham did, but how can we have the same benefits that Abraham did when he built his altars? Well, that's a very good question. And there we have to get down to the real essence of exactly what was Abraham doing in the core message, or what was his intent when he built these altars? And that's where we come to that verse there, in verse 7, which we covered today. There builded he an altar. And we have to ask the question, where did he build the altar? He built an altar in the place where God appeared to him. And that altar was an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to God for his kindness, for the, the, the appearance, the grace that God showed to him by appearing to him. And this was Abraham. Abraham's way. And Abraham, when he did this, as we've seen before, an altar was a place of slaughter. It was a place of sacrifice. And so we, when we build an altar to God, it's where we sacrifice to God. Now, we don't sacrifice animals, as you said, but we have something very, very precious, very, very valuable that we are able to give to God as an offering, a sacrifice, you might think. And that is the sacrifice of our time, of the time that we have, because we have very limited time in a day, very limited time in our life, and our heart, what we think about, what we meditate on, that that is precious time. And so when we take time 
When we take time, our heart time, when we take mind time, and we think about God, we meditate upon God, we come, for example, very precious time is right when we wake up in the morning. And when we wake up in the morning and we say, you know what, this time is going to be for God. Yes, there are many pressing things that I could be and I need to be concerned about. But you know what, I'm, 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 uh, I'm evicting all of those thoughts, all of those things that I could be doing out of my mind. I'm clearing the whole auditorium of my heart and my mind because on the stage, there's just going to be God. And I'm going to open the Bible and I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to think about God. I'm not going to just read this Bible and think about something else. I'm not going to just go through the motions and go through the words, but really my mind is something else. And the proof that I'm going to do that is that after I've read the Bible, I'll be able to close the Bible and I'll say to myself, do you know what you just read? And I'll be able to say, absolutely, because I was in attendance when that performance was going on. I was there with full concentration. That's a sacrifice. That's like an altar. That's a sacrifice of time. God sees that. That's very, very important. And when God sees that, then he says, all right, now I know you're really serious about me. And as a result, then I'm going to bring to you what I want to bring to you. What does he want to bring to us? He wants to bring to us comfort. We need comfort. It's rough down here. We get very little comfort from where we are. Hebrews 13, 14 says, Here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. When it says we have no continuing city, that's another way of saying this life is one grand disappointment. It's one grand crash expectation. Everything eventually falls apart. Our bodies fall apart. Death comes, and that's a grand disappointment. And then all of it, things don't work out. That's just one expression of a continuing of what it says in Hebrews 13, 14. Here have we no continuing city. That means we need comfort. And God is described beautifully in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 as the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. It says about God in 2 Corinthians 1.4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. If we can't comfort others, it's because we haven't been comforted by God because he comforts us so that we can comfort others. And what happens? This all flows as we come to this altar in the morning, especially, and we say, oh God, I like Abraham and building an altar here, and I'm going to sacrifice on this altar this time, this precious time, and I'm going to evict from my heart and my mind every distracting thought, every cry for the urgent, everything that's on my to-do list, everything that I went to bed saying, tomorrow when I've got more strength than I've rested, I'm going to do it. Not now, Lord. No, because now is going to be the time when it's just God, God and me alone. That's a sacrifice. That's an altar that we've done. And then 
Of course, if there are things that stand in the way between us and God, which he said in Isaiah when he says, your sins have separated between you and your God. In other words, if there are sins that are standing in our way, what we do when we come to the altar is that we say, yes, I sacrificed that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to sever that relationship which is separating me from God with that person which I know is not pleasing to God. I'm going to stop this practice which I know is wrong wrong. That's evil. I'm going to do that. That's a sacrifice on an altar, and God sees that. In other words, when we go about and we remove the obstacles, we take the barricades down that stand between us and God, we do that at an altar, so to speak, because it involves a sacrifice. When there's a price to pay, there's a sacrifice, and God sees that. That's why it's called the altar of slaughter. We slaughter the things which are standing in the way between us and God, so to speak. And God sees all that. He sees the effort. He sees the diligence. He sees our hearts are really serious with God. He sees we're giving up for God. And when he does that, he said, all right now, now let the rivers of water flow. Let the blessing come to him from heaven. That's our wonderful God. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a free gospel gift or have one sent to them? Well, you can contact us directly by phone at Israel Restoration Ministries, and Tom Cantor can help you to do that. Tom Cantor's life story on DVD and in booklet form has gone around the world, millions of copies, into lost Jewish people's hands. If you need a copy of this to reach your lost Jewish friend, call us today, 1-800-247-3051. Now, do you have a call of God to be a missionary to the Jewish people? maybe full-time or just on a voluntary basis, then we've got an opportunity for you at Israel Restoration Ministries. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. We'd like you to work with us at Israel Restoration Ministries in helping to build relationships with lost Jewish people and then ministering to them and evangelizing them with the gospel. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org.